The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Can your boss force you to get an exorcism? A little girl goes missing, and the culprit may be a character from one of our previous episodes. And then finally, we take a look at the story of the Loveland Frogman, or Frog Monster. Cut. Damn it, what is it? And then we take a look at the Loveland Frog. A cryptid who has friends, a magic wand, and quite the adventure until the police open fire on him. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We're coming up to episode 200. Episode 200 of Dead Rabbit Radio might be some surprises in store. You don't know. You don't know. I don't even know. That's how much of a surprise it may be. Or simple lack of being prepared. I think when the 100th episode came around, I just was like, oh, here's a normal episode. And then afterwards, I was like, oh man, I should have done something cool for that. Or, the way my memory works, we may have done something totally awesome for episode 100, and I've just forgotten by now. But episode, we're on episode, I think this is episode 193, 194, but we're close to 200, so that's awesome. We're also close to the end of season 4. We're going to be going into season 5. I don't know if I'm going to take a week off. Normally I do. I think I've kind of found a bit of peace with certain things for the show I can't control, or I'm like, it's just going to take a little bit longer for me to go into the YouTube system and add the tags. I used to be really religious about going in there and putting the tags up the first night and hitting all these buttons and da-da-da-da-da. And it was totally wearing me out, and it was it was taking like an hour and a half a night to do all this back-end stuff that you guys don't even see. It helps other people find the videos, but I was totally like freaking out about it, and now I'm just like, I've made my peace with that. Because the show is fun to do, and that stuff sucks. I know it's important to do, but it was just taking up way too much of my time. Responding to the comments, I love doing that. I love responding to comments. Sometimes that takes me a while, too. But yeah, all the back-end stuff, I don't like. But anyways, <laughs> I guess I should say, it's I really appreciate it when you guys do market the show for me. Because that's great, telling your friends, and you're like, Jason, you won't even do it yourself. I do. I actually put up flyers, and I do a lot of word-of-mouth stuff. It's the YouTube algorithm sucks. Anyways, I love it that you guys get the word out, wink, wink, and I have flyers that you can print out, just like I do, and you can post them up in coffee shops and malt shops and uh, doo-wops and opium dens, wherever you frequent. You can get those images in the show notes, in the links below. I really appreciate that. We have a merch store, too. But I, I there's just something real punk rock about walking around with flyers. Oh, yeah, and you can wear a Dead Rabbit shirt while you're doing it. But, yeah, just walking around with flyers, passing them out to people. I love I loved doing that stuff. Okay, that's enough of the back-end stuff. Let's go ahead and get started with the episode here. Now, the first story we're going to talk about actually just happened. Well, I should let me clarify that. I just found out about it, which there's probably a difference between those two things. We're going... I didn't know this place was real, by the way. 
We're going to Kentucky. I knew that place was real. We're going to Kentucky. We're going to the city of Hazard, Kentucky. Now, is that where the Dukes of Hazard took place? I'm pretty sure, but I thought the Dukes of Hazard was spelt with two Zs. Apparently, this one's just one Z like the real. But the Dukes of Hazard town, we're going. Dead Rabbit Radio is going to the town of Dukes of Hazard. If you don't know what the Dukes of Hazard is, I'm, I hold my head for the childhood memories that you didn't share with me. Dukes of Hazard was, a, it was a story about basically vigilantes in a race car. Were they vigilantes? They basically just didn't do what the cops said. It was this small town with, like, this corrupt sheriff. It was super bizarre, because it was, like, this corrupt southern sheriff who was basically just, like, bullying people around, and then the Bo, the Duke brothers, the Duke brothers, Bo and Luke Duke, was it? Bo and, I don't know. But anyways, the Duke brothers, um, you're like, Jason just gets into the stupid story, but the Duke brothers basically were, like, Robin Hood-type characters, and then Daisy Duke walked around. That was their cousin, I believe. And she wore Daisy Dukes. She wore the shorts that just came up right to her butt cheeks. So anyways, that's the story of the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, I also should mention they had a Confederate flag on the top of their car. And when they honked their horn, it played Dixie. So, yeah. I guess I should throw that in there, too. But they weren't racist. They weren't. They just really liked the Confederate flag and the song Dixie. So anyways, anyways. We're in Hazard County. Sorry, no. That's the show. Well, damn Duke boys don't know what's going... Okay, okay. We're in Kentucky. We're in the city of Hazard. Now, there's a dude there named Jason Fields. And let me say, too, this is all alleged. This is all alleged. This is going through court right now. So Jason Fields works at a hotel. And he's talking to his boss. His boss's name, Sharon Linden. Jason goes, hey. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm going through some marital trouble right now. I'm getting a divorce and Sharon's like really and he's like yeah yeah I just uh, I don't think things are gonna work out between me and my wife and that damn Roscoe Pico train stole my girl and so Sharon go okay okay that's the last trust me that's the last hazard joke because I don't know how many of you guys get the references anyway so Sharon Linden says you know I've had trouble in my life as well I had trouble with them Duke boys so she goes I (laughs) I had trouble in my life as well what you need is a cleansing. And Jason's like, huh? That's kind of weird. Now, Sharon is Jason's boss. And he kind of is like, no, no, I'm fine. You know, he has his own religious beliefs. He doesn't really know what the cleansing is. He doesn't really want to know what the cleansing is. But Sharon goes, well, it's kind of like an exorcism. And you get this cleansing. You basically, your marital problems are being caused by demons. We got to cleanse the demons from you, Jason. We got to get them out of you. Now, He says that that made him feel uncomfortable, but whatever. So he simply politely declined the offer and went about his business. And she kept saying, Jason, you need to get the demons out of you. You need to get cleansed. I've had four cleansings myself. Look at me. I'm fine. Which I would have to wonder why you would need four of them. Not just the first one doesn't work. There's there is it like washing clothes? Like you got to keep working the stain out. There are like a couple demons still clinging on to you. Or does she keep doing bad stuff and the demons keep finding her again? I don't know. But anyways, at one point, Jason Fields, this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. There was two straws. One, one day he walked into work. Imagine this scenario. You walk into work and you see your super weirdo religious boss standing there in the corner. 
with her back to you like the Blair Witch. No, she's standing there and she's like, I'm so glad you've come to work. And then you see like 15 people who are members of her church. You've never met them before, but you can just tell they're members of her church because they get in front of you and start praying in front of you. And she's like, we are cleansing you. We are cleansing you. I don't know if she actually said that, but they were cleansing him. And he got really uncomfortable. It'd be super bizarre. I mean, I get it. Like sometimes people at work will be like, you know, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, okay, no, I appreciate that. That's cool. But it's totally different if someone like bows down. And, actually, that'd be kind of cool. Someone bowed down in front of you and started praying. But 15 of them, especially if I wasn't down with their religious practice, would be a little weird. But really what ended his employment there, what finally made him quit, was one day his boss came in with a questionnaire and says, you need to fill this out. He's like, oh, okay, must be like for benefits or something. Am I getting life insurance? And she's just like, fill it out. Oh, you're getting life insurance eternal life insurance and then she just walked away and he's like oh great here's what this is what some of the questions were on the survey his boss gave him were you a planned child were you conceived out of wedlock those kind of go together have you ever visited heathen temples he's like yeah stone temple pilot saw him in like 95 were they even around back then do you have any witches? Here's another question. Do you have any witches such as good luck kitchen witches in your home? What is that? Is that a thing? A good luck kitchen witch? Is it like an elf on a shelf, but it's all year round and it's just like this crone who hangs out in your kitchen other than your ex-wife? Da-da-tsh. To your knowledge, was there... A, here's the other question. To, I'm not asking you this directly. To your knowledge, was there evidence of lust in your family line? That's kind of vague. And probably because they've had kids. And may, they might be using the biblical term lust. But if you just ask, has anyone in your family ever been lusty? I was like, well, they've had sex multiple times. That's why I exist. She asked also, do you have lustful thoughts? Do you frequently masturbate? Check, check for me. And... Have you ever sexually fantasized about an animal? Weird. That one seems probably the the weirdest one there. Because it just kind of popped up. Everything else you're like, yeah, I can understand someone. But why that? That's super specific. But anyways, so those are just some of the questions. He didn't turn it in. He actually quit Suter. And they're now facing a lawsuit. But this is in America, and I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's true in most countries. There's a thing called hostile work environment. When your boss is forcing you to get exercised, that is pretty much the the a definition of a hostile work environment. You can't talk about you can't really make religion part of your job unless you are unless your job is the pope or priest, but you can't really. I mean like so no. She's going to lose this lawsuit. She'll probably lose the lawsuit if he kept that form, which is what he should have done. Weird story. Weird weird story. Okay, so our next story actually is a real short one. Now, I don't know, I, I, I announced it at the beginning of the week, and then I cut it out for time, but this was supposed to be Missing Persons Week. And now we're like three episodes in, and I was like, oh yeah, I edited that out, because that first episode was like an hour long, and the second episode was like an hour long, and I just had to go in and remove whole chunks of the show, so some of it got lost. On yesterday's episode during the Pombero, I talked about this little guy named the Yisi Yasera. He's also a little troll man who lives in South America. I'm just saying it now because I cut it out yesterday. He's a little troll man who lives in South America. What he does is he kidnaps kids and plays with them, and then he licks them on the face and gives them epilepsy and makes them mentally disabled. Or drowns them. Pick your poison. 
You're like, Jason, that's incredibly out of place for this episode, but I just wanted to fit that fact in somewhere, because it's actually in the show notes for yesterday's episode. Totally got cut for time. But this story here is part of Missing Persons Week, which you're now just being made aware of. Very short story. Tragic. But it's a callback to a cryptid or a ghost that we have covered in previous episodes. We're going to Chisholm, Minnesota. And there we see the grieving family. You're like, great, Jason, another one of these ones. And there we meet the grieving family of the Warners. It's June 14th, 2003. Leanna Warner has just gone missing. They can't find her. Little five-year-old girl. She goes missing. She went to walk to her friend's house a couple streets away, which she had made this walk multiple times before. But she gets to her friend's house, there's no one home, and then she starts walking back home, and that's the last time anyone sees her in the neighborhood. Totally gone. And I know you're thinking, five years old, who's walking through the town by themselves? And I, it's weird, but it was normal when I was growing up, and it was normal every single time she did this journey, this time she just happened to go missing. Huge search party, they can't find her at all. Now, the cops said, listen, after they keep searching and searching and searching, they go, we think it's foul play. We think if a five-year-old set out on her own, we would have found her by now. There's only so many places you can go in the town. Got this massive party looking for her. We think she was kidnapped. So that was the path of investigation they were taking. They do find a child's footprint near a lake. They drain the lake. Nothing. And they're like, okay, well, back to square one. But we got, we will keep looking for this kid. But what's weird about this is that you have, generally when children go missing, you have the usual suspects. You it, All of a sudden you find out your town is full of perverts. Because the cops immediately start going through their logs and they go, this guy was arrested for this, this guy was arrested for this. So they talk to one guy, he had been caught with child pornography, they go and investigate him, he kills himself. But the cops go, we don't think he had anything to do with her disappearance. We think he killed himself because he was about to go to prison for child porn. So, other people in town think he was murdered. But a weirdo suspect. Another weirdo suspect, guy who kidnapped two girls a couple years earlier. He was writing in his journal. Who keeps journals? He was writing in his journal saying, I'm afraid I'm going to get blamed for the kidnapping of Leanne. But, you know, he was, they investigated him and he wasn't ruled a suspect. She's never been found. But that's not what made me want to cover this story. This is the weird part. Before her disappearance, Leanna comes home with a case full of Barbies and clothing. Just puts it on the table, opens it up. Her mom's like, where'd you get those? Where'd you get those Barbies? Those aren't yours. Did you get those from a friend? And she's like, no, the old lady gave them to me. That's weird. And then, about a week before she goes missing, her parents see her packing a suitcase. They go, Leanna, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm getting ready to go live with my new family. Shuts the suitcase. Now, the police have said that they don't think that that has anything to do with her disappearance. But when I read that, I immediately, my mind went back to the candy lady of Texas. The woman who was supposedly leaving candy on kids' windowsills, enticing them to come out. It didn't. She didn't hide outside your window, and once you reach for candy, her clawed hands grab you and pull you. She, her goal was to get you out of the house to come with her willingly. 
she wasn't a monster underneath your bed. She was like a monster in society. And again, if she existed at all. But I think it's interesting that you have that same parallel here. You have this old lady who this girl met, and she gave her these toys. To Here, you can have these toys. Could have been totally innocent, but could have also been a total creep weirdo. Giving her these toys, and then being like, you should come stay with me. I'll be your grandma, and you'll have a new papa and a new mama. It would be so fun. And the girl's like, that does sound like fun. We don't know how many times this little girl, Leanna, interacted with this old lady, whether it was a one-off thing where some old lady was throwing away a bunch of stuff, and she goes, hey, kid, come here. Come here. You want some Barbies? Or if it was a grooming process. But what we know is this girl got these Barbie dolls from someone the family didn't know. A week before she disappears, packing a suitcase to go visit a family the family doesn't know. And then she disappears. I just think it's creepy because it's almost like, what if the Candy Lady of Texas isn't so much like a serial killer or a ghost or an urban legend or whatever? What if it's just like an archetype? What if it's a blueprint for how old, creepy women can kidnap kids? Like, they can't overpower them. That's not in their... They don't have the ability to do that because their bones are already made of, like, dust. Their skin is as thick as paper. But, I okay, that's... I'm talking about mummies at that point. But you know what I mean? Like, an adult... A healthy adult can overpower a kid. This is getting grim, but an old, an old, the older and weaker you are, the more you have to use guile to get them. There may be candy ladies all over the world who aren't trying to be like, come check out this puppy or jump out of the bushes. They could just be leaving a trail of toys or sweets or just words of encouragement to finally get that kid out of the safety of their own home. But, let's go ahead and move on to a fun story. A fun story. It does involve a couple things getting blown away, but it's a lot more fun than that last story. This story was actually, in a roundabout way, a request on Twitter. Because I asked if we had a Cryptid Olympics, who should be involved in it? And the first people to respond were, um, on Twitter... The Cafe and Diner, which is Cafe underscore and underscore Diner. I really, really recommend checking them out. It's a really cool Twitter account. And then also Jester, who also is a follower of Cafe and Diner. Yeah, check it out. I've recommended that Twitter account a couple times. They got some really cool things going on there that I think is is just right for the fans of the show. But they said Loveland Frog. That was the first, they're like Loveland Frog. Cryptid Olympics, he has to go. And I have, I was familiar with the name Loveland Frog, but never looked into it. This guy's pretty dope. I don't know if he'd win the Cryptid Olympics, but let's take a look at his resume here. So we're going to Loveland, Ohio. Did you guys ever see that old show from the 70s, The Dukes of Loveland? This is where it took place. Loveland, Ohio. The year is 1955. Now I can do my doo-wop music that I didn't get to do yesterday. A doo-wop, ba-dop, 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 This guy's driving down the road. This businessman is driving down a road late at night in Loveland, Ohio, turning up a little bit of his doo-wop music, and he sees on the side of the road three humanoid figures just kind of standing up, and he's like, what? What is, they look, they look weird. They're on two feet, but they just look, kind of lumpy and their eyes are in the they're frogs and what he's seen is three 
four feet tall frogs standing up, having a conversation on the side of the road. He starts slowing his car down, and then at one point, one of the frogs turn. One of the frogs sees him, sees the human now watching them, and he turns, he looks at the human, he pulls a wand out. Not the human. The frogman pulls out a wand, a big metal wand, like a magic wand, and then sparks shoot out of the top of it, and the businessman drives away totally scared. So that was really the origin of the Loveland Frog. It should really be Loveland Frogs, but became a local phenomenon. It basically became their Bigfoot. Everyone in Loveland was like, they hear this story. They're like, oh my God, there are frog people out there, da-da-da-da-da. Now, it was passed down from generation to generation. Dads would tell their kids, and kids would tell each other in the schoolyard and all this sort of stuff that better be careful, there's a frogman in the woods. Now, what's interesting is this the first sighting, there's multiple variations of it, which tends to make you think it's an urban legend. Sometimes it's a businessman. Sometimes it's a vacuum cleaner salesman. Sometimes I think he's walking. Sometimes he's driving. There's different variations, but they're slight. They all involve three frogs, a magic wand, and sparks. So the fact that those variations, as small as they are, do lend it a little more weight than the typical urban legend. Like, Bloody Mary, say you have her baby. Sometimes you say Bloody Mary three times. Sometimes you say it ten times. You know, sometimes the urban legend's a little more concrete, gives it a little more weight, which is what concrete tends to do. But everyone's talking about this thing. It's their Bigfoot. So in 1972, when a police officer is driving down the roads of Loveland late one night, and he sees it, everything changes. It's March 3rd, 1972, and Officer Ray Shockey is driving down the road. He sees a four-foot-tall creature, reptile, standing up by the side of the road. And it's fully illuminated by his headlights. He can see it perfectly. It's this giant reptilian creature that's four feet tall, standing up. And it climbs over a guardrail and kind of jumps down into the river. And it scares him to death. Absolutely. And he reports it. And everyone makes fun of him. They're like, oh, Shocky saw the frog, man. Shocky saw the frog, man. They're like giving him swirlies and wedgies. He's like, no, I'm an officer of the law. Don't do this. But he got teased. It would be the same thing. That's why Air Force pilots don't report that they've seen UFOs or regular pilots or whatever. Because you're going to get ridiculed. And he was ridiculed. But he had a good buddy on the force, Mark Matthews. Mark Matthews. Now, he was also an officer. And he was like, you know what? I believe Shocky. He had a button that says, I believe Shockey. He's like, do you want to wear this? He's handing them out around town. People are like, no. I don't know who that guy is. But anyway, so Mark Matthews was on a mission. He wanted to prove his friend right. But then, you know, he was also a cop. He also had to, like, arrest people and do traffic stops and stuff like that. He wasn't, like, on, he wasn't a one-man mission of, like, proof. He also had other stuff to do. But he's like, you know, I'm going to run into this creature. I just know it. And I'll prove that Shockey was right. And then I'll win his heart. So one night, about two weeks later, Mark Ma- very short amount of time, Mark Matthews is on patrol, and he sees something in the bushes. A big reptile. And he blows it to pieces. Doesn't, doesn't investigate it at all. He just shoots it to death. Could have been an alien visitor. Could have been a last of its species. Could have used that magical wand technology to create sparks that would win- help win the Cold War. But he didn't even worry about that. Just Those are all the birds flying away from the gunshot. Not the sound of this creature dying. Now, when he shoots it dead, 
He walks up to it and he goes, that's not a frog. But I don't know what it is. It's four feet tall. It's a big dead reptile. With arms and legs and a little reptilian head. And that was it. No tail. And he's like, what is this thing? So he picks it up, throws it in the back of his squad car in the trunk, takes it to Shockey. Now, Shockey's at home. He's drinking some single malt. He's like, they'll believe me someday. I know they'll believe me. Or I'll show them. I'll show them all. And before he can enact his plan of vengeance on his bullies, Matthew shows up and says, hey, Shockey, you want to come check out my trunk? Got some junk in it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Opens it up, and Shockey looks, and he goes, that is exactly what I saw. That stands up on both legs. And and Matthew goes, I didn't see it stand up on both legs necessarily, but I did blow it away before it had the chance to, like, you know, Carl Owens out of there. So, at this point, they're looking at a giant reptile. It's not an alligator. It's not a crocodile. It's not a frog. But it's definitely some sort of unknown creature to them. So they have to go take it to get it tested by, like, a scientist. So... They, I, I imagine, I imagine in real life they took it to, like, a college or a vet. But I would love to see them roll it down into the autopsy room of the police station. He's like, hey, Clark, you ever seen one of these before? And Clark's like, oh, dude, yeah, I can't wait to dissect this thing and find out what it is. Looks like straight up alien autopsy. But anyways, for whatever the reason, whether they took it to the autopsy dude, the coroner is the word I'm looking for, or they took it to a veterinarian, what it was, what Shockey saw and Matthew saw, was a giant iguana that's tail had come off. So, to be fair, it didn't look like a, uh, an iguana. It just looked like a monster. And when it was standing up by the side of the road, it was actually preparing to climb over the guardrail. So it wouldn't be able to walk like that. It wouldn't be able to like jog down the street like that. But it was holding itself up and then fell over. And it looked like it was standing on both legs. So at that point, the thing is, is like, if you ran in, if this series of events happened in any other location, a man says, oh, dude, I saw like a four foot tall lizard walking around and it fell into the river. And then two weeks later, someone blew it away with a shotgun and then said, oh, it's an iguana with no tail. That would kind of be it. But this, because it took place in Loveland, where the beloved frogman lived, it was this crazy chain of events. And what's really weird is that outside of that first story, and then the story of the officers, there's no other real proof of the frogman. There's a few blurry photos of it. Really, the best photo that's come out was when some nerds were playing Pokemon Go, running around in Loveland. And they clipped a picture of a creature standing in the water. Looking at them with glowing eyes. Most likely fake. Because what Pokemon Go player is going to stop playing Pokemon Go long enough to open their camera up? None. Also, technically they should have caught him. But they didn't. So, I think it was fake. If the Loveland Frog monster... I keep wanting to add that qualifier on the end of it. If the Loveland Frog is real... I think the most likely thing is they were simply passing through. I find it interesting that it's they seem to be monsters, but they were talking to each other. Oh, dude, I just remembered something. I did an episode, probably about three episodes back. I can't believe that I totally forgot about this. I did an episode three, about three or four episodes back, called The Man Who Was Addicted, or Addicted to Abduction. Or Addicted to UFO Abduction, or something like that. And it started this guy, it, it was featured this guy named Piers Anfreda, who talked about being abducted like multiple times, and I said the whole story was made up. 
But an interesting thing is when he was abducted on that ship, and that story took place in, if I remember correctly, in the 70s. They, he was taken aboard the ship, and the aliens were like, here, look in this vat. This is our most hated enemy. And in it was a giant frog. Now, it's possible that Pierce and Freda still made the whole story up, and he just read about the 19th story, the story that took place in the 1950s with the businessman. That's actually, it's possible, but I know it's possible. I can't necessarily say unlikely, but I would say my instinct tells me that if the Loveland frog sighting is real, they were aliens. They were from not this planet. Because four, three four-foot-tall frogs with magical wands would be really hard to not see until 1955. There's, like, stories of, like, old legends in the areas of frog people, but people think that's been retconned. It's really hard for three giant frogs to hide with a magic wand, get sighted, and then go completely off the grid again. Unless they were simply passing through, or passing through our planet or dimension. I think it's for, and that would be why there would be no more frogmen sightings. Because they were just there for that night. They were partying in Loveland, Ohio. Then they had to get to somewhere else. I wonder what, it's funny because when I think of the story, I'm not so curious about the frogs because I deal with cryptids all the time. I'm curious about that wand. Very rarely do we see cryptids wield technology. Which again makes me think it's more likely that they're alien than some sort of monster. You gotta wonder though. We hear these stories of businessmen driving around at night. Seeing something out of the blue. Or out of the black because it's night. They see a Bigfoot cross the road. They see a man bat in Chicago. They see a Loveland frog and his buddies on the side of the road. But how many of those people don't make it to their destination? And all that's ever found is an abandoned car, or a rowboat in the middle of a lake, or a house where the tenant just seemed to up and leave, or a little girl goes missing. We never hear the start of those urban legends, those cryptid stories, those alien encounters, because the only witness was a victim. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Deadrabbitradio.com